If you Google the two words, home defense, what do you think you'll find? You'll find security, apps, objects, and items. You'll find articles on security, home security. You'll find, you'll find, I thought this was interesting. Do you know the very first thing that popped up when I Googled home defense? Ortho anti-ant pesticide. I thought, wow, how many of your marriages have ants? Amen. All right. Third thing that popped up, guns. Amen. In our, no, I'm not good. Guns. Home defense. Right. I'm going to tell you something today. Friend, you can have the greatest physical home security system in the world. I mean, it can alert you when a fly flies through your living room. You can have an arsenal bigger than Fort Knox. You can have you can have enough ant killer to zap every ant within a 25-mile radius of your neighborhood. But that's not the greatest home defense that we need. The greatest home defense, friend, that you need is for your marriage. And Jesus provides it for us, and he gives us steps to take. I want you to look. Genesis is the origin of even the home, the marriage relationship. Look at verse 18. Y'all with me? Say amen this morning. And the Lord God said, I, I love this, it is not good. Now stop right there. Up to this point, God had declared that everything was good. This is good. This is good. Every day it was a new good. This is good. But now on this day, verse 18, God said, wait a minute, this is not good. It is not good. What did he say? It's not good. It is not good that man should be alone. And every married man in this room said, now, fellas, if you, didn't, you missed a good opportunity to impress your wife right there. So God declared this is not good. And then, praise the Lord, he declared the solution. I will make him unhelp meet for him. A helper. Not a slave. Not a, not a servant. Not someone that's inferior. Not someone that's not equal. Amen, ladies. I will make him a helper that suited, suited, listen, just for him. Just for him. You know what we say? Tailor-made just for him. And by the way, sir, listen carefully. Did you know that your wife is tailor-made for you? God knew what your personality was going to be, and he knew that you needed her. He knew what your weaknesses were going to be, and he knew that you needed her. And God tailor-made her for you and you for her. Praise the Lord for that. This is God's design. I will make him a help meet for him. And so God performed the first surgery. Notice what he did. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living tr- creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, all the fowl, all the beasts. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. And so he began to think, wow, I see all these animals. They have a 
match. I'm looking around and I don't see anybody that looks like me. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. You're like, why did, why did Adam call her woman? Because he took one look at Eve and said, whoa, man. <laughs> no, no, all right. He didn't. That's not what happened. All right. All right, I'm sorry. Because she was taken out of man. That's really not all that theological. Okay, that, that didn't happen. Say, like, what you been smoking at that marriage retreat, homie? All right. Nothing, I promise you. Therefore, God said, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. You know, it's interesting to me that God gave that command even before anybody had a father and a mother. Isn't that interesting? I wonder, I wonder if the Lord knew that that was going to be a problem for some of us, right? I'm going to go ahead and preempt this right now. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way. In case, in case there's any question, let's go ahead and take care of this right now. Snip this. The Lord pulled a Barney fight. Right? He's going to nip that in the bud right off the bat. And he did. And they shall be one flesh. That one flesh union. That one flesh union. It's a miracle. It's a mystery. Because only the Lord can put it together though. He said, I want you to leave father and mother. Now, it doesn't mean that you completely sever yourself in a relationship and that you completely ignore your parents for the rest of your days. You know? Your mom calls you, hey honey. I'm sorry, uh, I do not know you, who you are. I, I, no. No. It doesn't mean you sever relationship. But watch this. It means your relationship takes on a different form. It means that your parents, sir, ma'am, your parents are no longer your priority human relationship. Your spouse is. Not your parents. It's not dad, mom, and husband. No, 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 no. It's husband. It's not mom and dad and wife. It's wife. And listen to me. Listen to me. It's not kids and wife. Or kids and husband. It's husband and wife. That's the number one priority human relationship ordained by the Lord. Now, verse 30, 25 don't get nervous. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. You say, preacher, why did the Lord put that in Scripture? Because he's speaking, he's showing spotless innocence and perfection. You see, there was no sin. There was no shame. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. There's perfection. This one flesh union was perfect. So man, when chapter 2 closes, 
dude, this is like, boom. This is like paradise. It really was. You've got the Garden of Eden. (laughs) Unreal. There's no way we can even imagine how beautiful it was. Then you have this one flesh marriage ceremony that God, God performed. And it was great. And chapter 2 closes out on like a high note, like Mount Everest high. It doesn't, stay, it doesn't stay on the mountaintop real long. Because look at chapter 3, verse 1. And we're introduced to the serpent slash who? Satan. The devil. Our enemy. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He automatically begins to attack the credibility of God's word and God's statements and God's character and God's sovereignty. And he's been doing the same ever since. We know now, unfortunately, the rest of the story and how sin and Satan harmed and ruined the first paradise and the first home and the first marriage. And he's been trying to do that ever since. So I want to give you a couple of things as we come down the home stretch this morning. How, what steps can we take to better fortify our marriages? I want you to hear me this morning. If you're a married person in this room, I want you to raise your hand. That's the vast majority. Put your hands down, please. If I were sitting where you sit, and I have, and I do, I would tune in right now. There is nothing, there is nothing, nothing more sacred and special than your marriage as far as a human relationship is concerned. And if you're a logical, biblical person, then surely you want to do all you can to protect it and make it better. Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Number one, if we're going to do that, we need to take this step. Number one, eliminate unrealistic expectations. (laughs) Did you know that two million couples every year in America get married? That's 4 million people a year. That's a lot of unrealistic expectations. (laughs) And you did this and so did I. When you got married, you and I, you and I brought unrealistic expectations in our marriage. How we thought it should be, how we thought it was going to be. And my wife's already laughing at me right now, y'all. That, that's not even fair. All right. <laughs> I wish your wife laughed at you occasionally. <laughs> and then you got married. And I don't know how long it took for you, but then you're like, oh, snap. <laughs> you, re- you realize that that was just unrealistic. It really wasn't going to be that way forever, never, never, amen. Dr. Gary Chapman, who is a Christian marriage counselor, very, very effective, 
He said, no one gets married planning to divorce. Divorce is the result of a lack of preparation for marriage and the failure to learn the skills of working together as teammates in this intimate relationship. Did you know that many couples give far more attention to making plans for the wedding than making plans for marriage? There's a difference there, right? For far too many couples, he said, dreams of a happy marriage get shattered in the real world of dirty dishes, unpaid bills, conflicting work schedules, and crying babies. Everyone enters marriage with some degree of unrealistic expectations and a certain level of innocence even. And I use this word in the right way, ignorance. We just don't know. You don't know. You don't know how it's going to be. It's a stab in the dark. Far too often, though, those unrealistic expectations can be perpetuated for years and even decades without being addressed and tempered. This is from his book, Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Got Married, Gary Chapman. He said, I wish I had known that being in love is not an adequate foundation for building a successful marriage. I wish I had known that romantic love has two stages. The first stage lasts about two years, and the second stage, though, can carry you through a lifetime. I wish I had known that the saying, like mother, like daughter, and like father, like son, is not a myth. Okay, I'm going to keep going on that one. All right. (laughs) I wish I had known how to solve disagreements without arguing. I wish I had known that apologizing is a sign of strength. I wish I had known that forgiveness is not a feeling. I wish I had known that toilets are not (laughs) self-cleaning. And everybody said, amen. Okay. I wish I had known that we needed a plan for how to handle our money. (laughs) I wish I had known that mutual sexual fulfillment is not automatic. I wish I had known that I was marrying into a family. That's true, isn't it? I wish I had known that spirituality is more than just going to church. I don't know what unrealistic expectations you still are holding on to. But I encourage you this morning to eliminate them. You know what would be a great marriage, marital exercise? If you and your spouse would get away, even for a couple of hours. I don't have my phone with me because I never carry my phone into the service or into the pulpit. So... I know some of you send me text messages sometimes thinking I'm going to get it right before I get up and preach, but I don't because I don't know. But if I had my phone with me this morning, some of us need to get away and get away from our phones and just sit down and have one of those good old-fashioned conversations. Just talk and share and be honest about fears, struggles, expectations. And become vulnerable to your spouse again. Just talk. 
I don't know of any other way to shatter those unrealistic expectations. You see, gang, listen to me. you got to get open and honest and transparent before any kind of emotional intimacy is going to take place in your marriage. Number two, you want to fortify your home? See your marriage as a covenant, not a contract. I believe in covenant marriage. I believe a biblical marriage, listen, a biblical marriage is a covenant marriage. A covenant that is to be broken only through death. Are you hearing me this morning? How many times, how many times have we been witnesses? People stand at a marriage altar, whether it be in a church building or out in the open or in this beautiful secluded spot or whatever, but it is an official ceremony and a preacher, a pastor goes through a laundry list of this and that and the I do's and the promises, the promises. But what is it that we say? We say, and we're making this before God and these witnesses. Look at me. Sir, sir, you made that promise. Ma'am, you made that promise. And you made that promise till death do you part. You made that promise to God. I'm shocked. I'm appalled. I'm appalled and shocked. And I'm even embarrassed by my own flesh at how the human logic and human reasoning wants to eliminate that promise. Cheapen that promise. Dismiss that promise. Take away the weight and the heaviness and the burden and responsibility of that promise. That was a promise to love exclusively your spouse. Exclusively. And to have eyes and hearts and a body for them alone and no one else. Are you hearing me this morning? Where, where's that gone? It's gone out the window. It's not, it's not in vogue anymore. It's not popular. It's not easy. It's not. I'll go ahead and tell you it's not, right? It's not convenient. That will be tested in your resolve and your faithfulness. will be challenged on every side. But hear me, hear me, friend. You didn't make a promise. You didn't sign something just like you signed to buy a car. You weren't buying an object. You were pledging your soul. Can I get a witness right here? You made a promise before God Almighty. He's holding you to it. He's holding you to it. Well, preacher, I just lost, I just don't have a soulmate. I don't even know what that means, by the way. You may not have a soulmate, but you got a wife. 
and you've got a husband. You think you're going to find a soulmate if you leave him or her and go search for somebody else? You're crazy. You're deceived. You're self-deceived. You made a promise to God. June the 18th, 1994, I stood at 2110 Trawick Road, Raleigh, North Carolina, on stage at the marriage altar, and I pledged exclusive, exclusive faithfulness to her. She pledged it to me. You did that for your spouse. What changed? It's time this morning that we elevate our understanding of that promise. It is not a contract. It is a covenant between us and God Almighty. Number three, and we're going to pray. Are you still with me? Say amen. Don't leave me right here. Number three, remove the little foxes. Remove the little foxes. Song of Solomon (laughs) is a book in the Bible. You probably hadn't heard much preaching out of the Song of Solomon. Can I tell you one of the purposes that the book was written was to show marital and romantic love and intimacy. You're like, no, preach it. I thought it was supposed to be about Jesus. Jesus is pictured in the Song of Solomon. But the purpose, and please don't come up to me afterward and want to argue this point with me. Seriously, I love you and I love people. I don't have time on Sunday morning after church to argue about something. So don't do it, okay? I love you, but don't do it. The initial contextual purpose of Song of Solomon was to express romantic marital love. So that's what he does. That's why we're probably not going to read it verse by verse here this morning, okay? Because it wasn't written for this setting. It does have an appropriate setting, amen? But here's one one thing that he says. Some of y'all are looking at me like, I can't believe you would insinuate that. Why? It's a healthy part of the Bible and a healthy part of your marriage. By the way, your TV is much more graphic. So go throw your TV out. And by the way, if you have a cell phone with a data package, or your teenager or your children have a cell phone with data package, I guarantee you they've already seen more stuff than what I just mentioned right here. Unfortunately, God help all of us. He says in chapter 2, verse 15, Take us the foxes. The little foxes that spoil the vine. The words take us literally means to snare, to catch. 
Solomon, among one of his other duties, was an agriculturalist. A farmer. This is farming language. This is, this is agricultural language. Hey, you go catch those foxes. Because the, those little foxes like to chew on the vines and mess up the grapes. And he's talking about their relationship. How their relationship is vulnerable. Their intimacy is vulnerable and can be messed up by little things. Left unguarded and unprotected. There are some things that will threaten the relational health and intimacy of your marriage. What are some of those things? Hang with me and I'm going to be done. Number one, comparison and fantasizing. Well, I notice how so-and-so treats his wife. My husband doesn't treat me like that. He's much nicer than my husband. He's much nicer looking than my husband. He doesn't smell bad like my husband does. I don't know. (laughs) And the husband says, well, looky there. Look, that woman treats me with dignity. She's not unkind to me. She complimented me the other day. That gal at work, she said that my shirt looked nice. My haircut looked nice. We, com- we compare spouses. And we play a little g- mental game of wife swap. Are you with me? Let me tell you something, my dear friend. That's as destructive to a marriage as anything I could ever tell you. Are you with me? Please hear my heart. Don't do that. Fellas, you follow Proverbs 5 where he said, God said, you rejoice with your wife, the wife of your youth, thank God. God, and, 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 and God, by the very wording of that, is reminding us, fellas, listen to me, men, that our wife is a gift from God. When's the last time, and please don't do this as soon as church is over because it'll be weird for everybody. When's the last time you just hugged your wife and you said, Honey, you're my treasure from God. You're my gift from God. Because that's what she is. And every man in here said, You better believe it. Whosoever finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from God. Stop fantasizing. Stop comparing. Can I say this? Yes, I can. Thank you. Be be careful about social media. You know what would be good for some of us to do? Just get off of it. Just flat out get off of it.
I fear that sometimes some of us that are wanting for, to project that our life is so hunky-dory, it really ain't all that hunky-dory. Ladies, I love you. You know Brother C.P. loves you. You know your preacher loves you. But I'm just going to tell you the truth. Some of you need to get off social media and go love your husband. You need to shut your social media account down for a little bit and go be the wife that God called you to be and empowered you to be. And sir, some of you need to quit trolling and searching and hunting and fishing on social media and you need to go love your wife like Jesus loved the church. Take care of that little fox. I'm talking about undisciplined eyes. In person, in print, or on screen. I'm talking about flirtation with someone who's not your wife or husband. You've got to be careful. I'm talking about bitterness and resentment. Some marriages are so full of resentment and bitterness that they, there's no way they can have that emotional intimacy. That's why you got to get together and talk and get open with one another. Give grace and forgiveness and love, tenderness to one another. Sir, stop expecting your wife to be perfect. She's not going to be, but neither are you. Dear sister, stop expecting your husband to be flawless. He never has been and he never will be. Accept him for who God made him. I'm talking about misplaced priorities. I'm talking about little foxes now. Where everything and anything is more important than your marriage relationship. Your extracurricular activities. Your hobbies. Hobbies. Hobbies in my life and your life ought to come way on down here on the totem pole. Whenever a hobby conflicts with a priority and a duty, something's wrong. Some of you fellas that love being in the gym, that's fine, you go be in the gym. Some of you have left your wife. Some of you are playing around too much. You're wasting too much time on your hobbies. There's nothing wrong with working out. There's nothing wrong with playing ball. There's nothing wrong with playing golf. There's nothing wrong with hunting, hallelujah. Nothing wrong with fishing. There is something wrong with it when I get it out of proportion and I get my relationship with my wife out of kilter because I have misplaced priorities. Same is true with you ladies. Whatever you ladies do for hobbies, that's, that's up between you and Jesus and your husband. I ain't even going to go there. I'm just going to tell you. You need to keep it all, all in perspective. Selfishness is a little fox. Selfishness will kill my marriage. And that's what most marital trouble boils down to in the nitty-gritty is selfishness. And then a lack of genuine spirituality. I'm going to tell you something, gang. I love you, but spirituality is not sitting here in a church building. Spirituality, true spirituality, is how you are and who you are when you're at home and you're in private. That's true spirituality. And I'm going to tell you this. 
You know what will help your home and mine more than anything else? Is a good old-fashioned Holy Ghost dose of heaven-sent spirituality to baptize us all over again. Spirit fullness. Like preacher, you kind of came in here this morning and opened up both barrels. No, sir. I came in here this morning to deliver my soul to you as your under-shepherd. Husband, wife, right now, I, I know where we are. But if you're sitting beside each other, take each other by the hand right now. Go ahead. It's okay. Take each other by the hand. I want you right now, as we close this service, to recommit yourself to one another and to God. I want you to commit yourself to eliminate the unrealistic expectations. I want you to commit yourself to holding up that marriage covenant. I want you to recommit yourself to eliminate the little foxes that are going to spoil your vine. I'm going to ask you if you can. I'm serious now. I'm serious. This isn't a game. I don't care about numbers. That's not what this is about. I care about your home and your marriage. I care about your family. I care about your family 25 years from now. And I care about your kids. I'm going to ask you if you feel led of God and you can. And you can make it to this altar. I'm going to ask you to join together at this altar, husband and wife.